Hello and welcome to Renewing Hope Church in Oceanside, California, where our mission is to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourself. We pray that this episode will both challenge and encourage you to love more. And now, here's today's episode. And so I always like to start each message kind of giving a recap and a summary. And as we go along each message, that recap gets a little longer, so I'm going to try and do it like one of those, uh, what are they, the uh, auction people? I won't talk that fast, but. Okay, so here's, here's where we're at. And we're going to be in Daniel 9 to, uh, tonight, and we're going to look at the 70-week prophecy, which is, maybe you've, you've heard of it. But, um, so I'm taking a futurist pre-millennial position. What does that mean? We interpret the testimony of the prophets, the biblical text, in a literal tense. So when Revelation 20 speaks of a thousand-year reign of Jesus on this earth, physically, we believe that that is literal. We don't see this as symbolism or something symbolic. We've been talking about things like the seven-year tribulation, um, the antichristic figure that is to come. We see him emerging out of the Middle East. Uh, We see, you know, we're going to get into the seals and everything in, in Revelation when Corey goes down that path. But we interpret the text literally. Okay, Um, and we are working up to that thousand year period of time. We looked at the alternative positions of all millennialism, which sees uh, life now as we're living in this millennium. Uh, You know, they they interpret the book of Revelation as completely symbolic. Um, We looked at preterism, which seeks to explain testimony of the prophets in a historical sense. And that as of 70 A.D., the Lord was done with the nation of Israel. He essentially has divorced himself from the nation of Israel. And so we uh, believe that that is an error in teaching and it's an improper hermeneutic when you look at all of the texts, when you look at the whole fluidity of the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, um, it just tells a different story. So we wanna be gracious when we talk to other brothers and sisters in the Lord that have a, a viewpoint, but one of the other things we looked at was the Abrahamic covenant and the importance of that, that God still has an unfulfilled promise to the nation of Israel regarding a specific piece of land that they have never occupied, okay? And so that is still yet future. And when we look through the prophets, we're going to see a bit of that um, tonight. That comes at the end, okay? We looked at Daniel 2, Nebuchadnezzar's statue, and we kind of went through. We saw that the historical kingdoms represented in Nebuchadnezzar's statue were the Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian, the Greek And then the legs of iron in that statue, the traditional thought historically was that that's the Roman Empire. And then we start to scratch the surface a little bit and say, you know, Daniel 2.40 doesn't really describe the Roman Empire here. They only conquered one third of the prior lands. They certainly didn't crush, you know, religiously or linguistically. And so we are unsettled with that position. And there's been another candidate that has emerged that really fulfills the, the scriptures in a much better way, and that is the Islamic Caliphate, okay, or the Islamic Empire. So we see the legs of iron as the Islamic Caliphate or the Islamic Empire, and then we see the feet of iron and clay in Daniel 2 as a revived version of that Islamic Caliphate. And that's where we're at now. Today, we're waiting for this revived empire that's going to come against the nation of Israel in the last days with these 10 nations, they're, they're of common you know, purpose, and they're going to come against God's people and the saints in the latter days. 
And then we looked at Daniel 7, and we saw that Daniel 7 is really just a recapitulation of Daniel 2 with more detail. So again, representing the same empires. And then we were introduced to that little horn. Oh, that little horn who is the Antichrist. And we, we meet the little horn in Daniel 7. Uh, we also were introduced to ten horns, which represents the ten nations that will join the Antichrist in the latter days. So we covered Daniel 7. Last week we looked at Daniel 8. And we looked at the, uh, the ram and the goat. And we saw the focus that the Antichrist in the future, many try to, uh, you know, say that Daniel 8 is historical, that Antiochus Epiphanes IV is the little horn in Daniel 8, but Gabriel makes it very clear in Daniel 8 that the visions concern the latter days. And Jesus makes it very clear 200 years later, after Antiochus, when he said, when you see the abomination of desolation, so we know that Antiochus did not fulfill that little horn description. Uh, we looked at the region of the world in which the Antichrist should emerge from based on scripture, not our speculation. Um, we looked at his characteristics, his purposes, and how he comes to power, and that is through Satan. Prophesied all the way back in Genesis 3, the Antichrist is the seed of Satan. Okay? So that's where we're at. And now we get to get into Daniel 9. And I'm really excited about it. And I had this whole other message planned. And then I think it was like on Wednesday, the Lord said, no, he was just, this was really heavy. The first, um, you know, 19 verses. So I'm like, okay, Lord, let's, let's do this. Um, so let me pray. Father, uh, we thank you for tonight. God, we, we remember this weekend um, and the attacks on 9-11, on Lord, and just reminded of the evil that is in this world. And Lord, as we approach your text, we see that you have a redemptive plan. Um, you are in control, and you will restore all things, and you will do away with this wicked and evil world and usher in your kingdom, your purposes, your gov government, Lord. And we just cry out, Maranatha, Lord, come, Lord Jesus. So we give you tonight, and um, we thank you for your word. Amen. Okay, so we're going to be in Daniel chapter 9, and we're going to start in, on verse 1. So this is Daniel's third vision. In Daniel 2, he just he interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Daniel 7 is its own vision. Daniel 8 is its own vision. Daniel 9, its own vision. And then Daniel chapter 10 through 12 is basically one long vision. So here, this is his third vision. So in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans... In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you. But to us, shame of face, as it is this day to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, 
those near and those far off in all the countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. Verse 8. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us. We're going to come back to this. This is really important. Because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our judges, who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster. For under the whole heaven, such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem." As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name, As it is this day, we have sinned. We have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are reproach to all those around us. Verse 17. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine On your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear, open your ears and see our desolations, and the city which is called by your name, for we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. It's a heavy, heavy prayer. Um, you know, observation number one. Daniel understood the generation that he was living in. Daniel was in tune with what God was doing prophetically and in his time. We see this in verse two as he was understanding what God had told Jeremiah. He was understanding that their 70 years of captivity were coming to a close. So Daniel had an awareness of his generation and what the Lord was doing in his time. This is the model for us as we await this 70th week, which we'll get to. We need to have an awareness of the generation that we're living in and what Holy Spirit is teaching us in this time. Observation number two, Daniel knew how to come before the Lord. Daniel was full of humility, um, fear, and reverence. We see this, you know, in verse three and four. He, he sets his face to the Lord, you know, in prayer and supplications, fasting, sackcloth and ashes, which is just a, it's a symbol of remorse, you know, a public remorse. You know, Daniel knew how to, how to come before the most holy, um, a wonderful, wonderful model for us. You know, observation number three, 
Daniel, was, Daniel knew how to confess. Daniel was specific with his sin. He says in verse 10 and 11, we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord. We have not walked uh, in his laws, not observing Torah. You know, he, he was specifically calling out what his sin and the sins of his people were. You know, I remember uh, 10 years ago, I had a, a man tell me, he said, Brandon, don't shortchange your confession. You know, when you confess your sin, be specific to it and nail it to the cross. Like, don't sugarcoat it. Don't kind of just, you know. He says, be very specific with it before the Lord and before someone else. And it was very impactful um, to hear that. But Daniel, he models that, right? He's got the, the fear and reverence and he's specific with the sin. You know, in, in observation number four, as we get down to verse 16 through 19, God, or Daniel understood God's mercy. He understood his forgiveness. You know, he's crying out to him. He knows that the Lord will hear him. He says, Lord, have your face shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. You know, Lord, hear, forgive, listen, and act. He's petitioning to his father. You know, what a, what a wonderful model that he knows to come in reverence and fear and confession, but also acknowledging, God, you are merciful and gracious and kind. Have mercy on us, Lord. So just a powerful setting. And, you know, what happens next, we see, because of the type of man that Daniel was, Ezekiel chapter 14, uh, Ezekiel names Noah, Job, and Daniel as, in the Lord's eyes, as the most righteous men to walk the earth. You know, this is, this is just a wonderful um, chapter to come back to and, and just say, Lord, I want to mo- be like Daniel. I want to come before you and um, cry out to you. So just a really powerful setup. And then he gets into verse 20, and let's see what, what the Lord does um, you know, with Daniel here. So verse 20. Now while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel... And presenting my supplication before the, Lord, before the Lord, my God, for the holy mountain of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out. And I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. So it's so, you know, here was Daniel right when he was getting ready, like the Lord sent out the command and said, yep, this is this is a man that can handle this. And and here he's about to give, you know, some consider the most profound uh, prophecy in in the Bible. It's in terms of its specifics. It's accuracy. It's absolutely astonishing. Okay, so now we're going to get into this 70-week prophecy. And last week I said, hey, get your math brains ready. I'm not going there tonight. I was going to have it all, you know, done up. It's in your notes in terms of, like, specific dates. Um, And I I am going to, you know, touch on it. But this is the 70-week prophecy, verse, verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. So you say, okay, what are, what are these 70 weeks? So in Hebrew, weeks, weeks can be best understood as a period of seven. So are we talking about a, a period or a cycle of seven days or seven years? Well, we need to look at history and we look, need to look at context. 
So we see way back in Genesis uh, 29, um, when Jacob was you know, wanting to take Rachel as his wife, he's sort of petitioning with his father-in-law, Laban. And Laban says, all right, you know, you got to do work for a week. And then he later on says, you know, after you fulfill your seven years, and then he does the same thing with Leah. So we see this reference to this cycle of weeks being a cycle of seven years, okay? And in context here, Daniel also is referencing 70 years in verse number two. So it's best understood that in verse 24, we are talking about 70 cycles of seven years, which is 490 years, okay? And one thing to note is that we're talking about a a year of 360 days. You say, huh? Well, we're talking about the, the biblical year and the prophetic year. We see in Daniel and Revelation this use of 360 days, um, you know, the 1,260 days, the 42 months. So we're talking about a 360-day calendar year, all right? So you can, you'll, we'll get there, but you'll see how this kind of all comes together. So we have basically a total of 490 prophetic years that are concerning Daniel's people, so the nation of Israel, and the holy city, the city of Jerusalem. So that's, there's some things that are about to get accomplished, and this is whom and what it's about. So here are the things. Number one, to finish the transgression. Number two, to make an end of sins. Number three, to make reconciliation for iniquity. Number four, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Number five, to seal up vision and prophecy. And number six, to anoint the most holy. Some translations say to anoint the most holy place. So those are the six things uh, that will be accomplished in these 70 weeks. So numbers one, two, and three, we need to go back to verse number 11. And we see that the nation of Israel, God has poured out the curse of the Mosaic law on them. He has temporarily turned his face from them for a period of time, and they still live under the curse of the Mosaic law. That does not mean that a Jewish person can't come to Christ today and be saved, referred to as Messianic Jews. But in terms of the biblical prophecy, in terms of the nation of Israel, they're still living under this curse of the Mosaic law, and this will not be taken care of, these first three things, finished transgression, offenses against God, end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity until the Lord Jesus returns. Turn with me to Ezekiel 37. So we're going to see how all this kind of comes together. It's, it's important. Verse 23, they shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions, but I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned and will cleanse them. They shall be my people and I will be their God. Verse 24, David, my servant, referencing Jesus, shall be king over them and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. Then they shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob, Going back to that Abrahamic covenant, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that promised specific land in the covenant was promised to them. It's unfulfilled. So again, they shall dwell 
in the land that I have given to Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwelt, and they shall dwell there, they, their children, and their children's children forever, and my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Indeed, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The nations also will know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. Jeremiah 31, verse 33. But this is the covenant that I will make with who? The house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. This then becomes this internal spiritual transformation in this moment, but it doesn't happen until the end of this age. And Zechariah 12, verse 10. And I love the use of the, the words here because, remember, in Daniel, they've, been, they've had a curse poured out on them, a curse being under the law. And now in Zechariah 12, verse 10, what's God going to do? I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. So he's, he's exchanging the curse for grace and supplication. Their eyes are going to be opened. It says that they will look on me whom they have pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. So this is this outstanding curse that still hangs over the Jewish people, right? And it's not going to be completely resolved, their transgressions, their sin, their iniquity, until the Lord Jesus returns, until they are refined, go through the period of the tribulation, and the Lord returns, and he pours out grace and supplication, and they look upon him, they realize, oh my goodness, it's Messiah, and then Paul says in Romans chapter 11, and all Israel will be saved. This is that corporate moment of salvation for the nation of Israel. You may say, well, what about us? What about us as Gentiles? We'll get there. All right. So number four, to bring in everlasting righteousness. The inauguration of this happens when, when Jesus returns. He starts to usher in this everlasting righteousness, this peace, um, which will extend into the, the millennial kingdom, but this is, this is where it starts. The fifth thing, to seal up vision and prophecy. So once there's still like 500 prophecies that are still outstanding uh, regarding the second coming of Christ. So once, once it's all complete, there is no more need for vision. There is no more need for prophecy. These things will be sealed up. Number six, to anoint the most holy. Your translations may say holy place again. So that is referring to um, the temple. If you ask any Jewish person, what's the most holy? They're going to say, ah, the temple. So to anoint the most holy place. So we know that the first two temples have been destroyed. We're waiting on a third temple to be rebuilt. It's going to have a short life because the Antichrist is going to come and, and eventually destroy it and set himself up as God. It's referred to as the abomination of desolation. And then we have a fourth temple rebuilt by Jesus in the millennial kingdom. You can read about this in Ezekiel 40 through 48 and other passages. 
Um, and then ultimately, ultimately you know, uh, the Lord God is going to come and dwell in our midst. And he is the temple. He is the light. He's the glory of the Lord will, will shine upon all the new heaven and the new earth. Okay, so these are all the things that are going to be accomplished. Now we're going we're gonna to see what has already been fulfilled and what is still yet future. So verse 25, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So we got a total of 69 weeks. Notice not all 70, just 69, okay? So the first 69 weeks, something happens that from the going forth of a command or what we call a decree to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, essentially until Jesus is revealed as Messiah. There are 69 weeks. So this is 483 years. Remember, we started the 70 weeks was represented 490 years. So these 69 weeks represents 483 years. In your notes, again, I don't want to confuse anybody, but you'll see when we convert that to our Gregorian calendar, it comes out to 476 years plus like 24 days and some change. All right. So did this happen? This, has this been fulfilled? Well, there's like five or six different decrees that were put out to rebuild the temple, but the only one that included the city itself, Jerusalem, was in Nehemiah chapter 2. So that is our starting point of these first 69 weeks, is to restore or the, uh, the decree that went out to rebuild Jerusalem, we find in Nehemiah 2. So that's our starting point. And then until Messiah the Prince, until Jesus was revealed as Messiah, when they knew he was who he was, so basically right before, you know, just those days leading up to his crucifixion. So if you take the starting point, again, in your notes, and you go those 476 years plus 24.7 days, it's, it's to the day that those first 69 weeks were fulfilled. It's so accurate that scholars and outside non-Christians say somebody else must have written this chapter or this book because it's so accurate. It's amazing. All right, so that's our first 69 weeks. Um, And then it says there shall be seven weeks and 62. The breaking up of it, all kinds of debate. Jump in if you'd like and do some research. We can talk. So those, those were the first 69 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. So now we're moving into, uh, so after those, so after Jesus was revealed as Messiah, the days leading up to his crucifixion, that's those first 69 weeks. After the 62 weeks, now I'm in verse 26. And after the 62 weeks, so again, we're talking about 69 weeks because it says seven and then 62 so it's after those 62, so it's after the 69 weeks. It says, Messiah shall be cut off. That is Christ crucified, okay? Which is exactly what happened. So after those 69 weeks were fulfilled to the day, Christ was crucified. Shortly thereafter, Messiah was cut off. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. This is referring to the second temple that was destroyed in 70 AD. 
We've talked about this in previous sessions, and it's really, really important because this is one of the verses that those that hold to this revived Roman Empire view, this is one of the ones that they hang on to because the empire that destroyed the temple in 70 AD was the Roman Empire. But what does the text say? In Hebrew, it says Ham Nagid, which means the ethnicity of the future Antichrist, the, the ethnicity of the people of the future Antichrist. It's not saying the empire. So who are the actual people? We know that Rome, right? The Roman Empire was the empire that crushed the temple, but who were the actual people? We know from history that the people that actually came in and crushed the temple were not European. They were not Italians. They were Middle Eastern. They were Syrians. They were Turks. They were Arabs. They were the 10th legion of the uh, Eastern Roman Empire based in Antioch, Turkey. Those were the people. It's like if someone was being committed for a crime in, uh, in Europe, let's say, and the suspect, they said, okay, what's his ethnicity? He's European. Like European, that doesn't tell me anything. Was he Italian? Was he Portuguese? Was he Spanish? That's what this is saying. What, what was the ethnicity of the people? So this is saying, and the ethnicity of the people of the future Antichrist that will align themselves with the Antichrist, they were the ones that destroyed the temple, and those people were Middle Eastern. They weren't European. Just got to scratch the surface a little bit. Okay. The end of, of it shall be with the flood until the end of the war. Desolations are determined. Verse 27. Now we are getting into our period of time today and what we are waiting for in the future. The 70th week, which has not happened. It has not been fulfilled. This is the final seven years of Daniel's 70 weeks. Okay? So we are waiting on this period of time. It says, then he, the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. So one period of seven years. So something's going to happen. He's going to confirm some type of, of covenant at the beginning of the seven-year period. Uh, many have referred to it as a peace treaty. Well, I, I'm not convinced it's a peace treaty, but it, the text says that it's, you know, some sort of covenant is confirmed. So maybe he just acknowledges some sort of covenant that the nation of Israel had with their God. You know, and he confirms that. I'm not sure. Revelation chapter 6, which Corey's going to cover. You get into the first seal. It's this rider on a white horse with crowns. He's like coming in peace. No like sword yet. So there's some parallels that would suggest that this, this antichristic figure is going to come in peace and confirm some sort of covenant at the beginning of the seven years. And then it says... But in the middle of the week, which we looked in previous sessions, and we see in chapter in Revelation, halfway through, the, the, uh, he's going to put an end to the sacrifices that the Jewish people start doing again. They're going to start making sacrifices again. How long? We don't know. It's, my guess is it's probably not going to happen for very long. You know, the, the temple gets rebuilt, and then he comes in and... You know, he basically puts an end to him and he, he just sets himself up as God, like Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we see several references to the abomination of desolation. So he's going to be Mr. Nice Guy for a while, right? For the first three and a half years. And then halfway through, we read last week, Revelation chapter uh, 12. Satan is cast out of his heavenly abode, comes to earth. 
this demonic incarnation takes over the Antichrist and the full revelation of sin on earth takes place. So halfway through, we are going to know this is the guy, right? He's going to put an end to sacrifices and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So we are in this period of time where we are awaiting this revived empire that will, in, in our opinion, in our study, will be a revived Islamic caliphate or a revived Islamic empire where this antichristic figure emerges and a coalition of ten nations will come join the party because they have the same common goal and common purpose and that's to destroy and recapture Jerusalem and conquer God's people and the saints. That's where we're headed and that's where we're at in time. And so the elephant in the room and what everybody always wants to know is, well, will we, will we be around for all of this? The rapture question. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about next week. So it's, it's really important because we've been talking a lot about God's prophetic plan for the nation of Israel, right? And so we haven't spoken a lot about the church. And so that's what we're, I'm going to get into next week. And certainly, Corey, when he goes to Revelation, it's, it's important. But... Um, you don't want to circle back on something because you think about this curse of the Mosaic law and we don't, we don't live under that. We have already been reconciled to God through Jesus. It's, it's done. We don't live under the law. We're not under the curse of the law. We have been reconciled to God through Christ. Right? And it's this amazing journey that that he has us on. I love how Paul uses the, the imagery of, of you're running a race, you know? And, and like the, the track stars, if any of you guys ran track, you know, you get down and, and you like take your place and you wait for that gun. But that's like our moment, like Daniel getting on his knees in fear and reverence. That's like our moment of salvation. We're on our knees like, Lord, thank you. He's given you this, this gift of faith to understand that Jesus is the way, that Jesus died for our sins, that we've been reconciled to God through Christ and no other way. We cannot be made pure in this life separate from the blood of Jesus. There's a lot of people trying to go to God without going to Jesus, and it just can't be done. Okay? And so is that it? You know, you're in the track position. You have this moment of salvation. It's like, okay, I'm all good, baby. Eternity, here I come. No, he's got a race for you. For we are, you know, God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God, you know, has for us in prepare for us to do. You know, it's this beautiful journey that, that he has us on. And so, you, you, you know, the gun goes and you start running. You're like, yeah, I got this new life. And, you know, you're, you're like all oh, jazz. You're telling everybody about Jesus. And all of a sudden you like stop doing things that you did before because sin doesn't feel very good. And you're going, you're going, and you've just got this new life. And then all of a sudden, life starts getting in the way. And then who's there? Satan. What's he doing? He's like trying to throw some darts at you. You know, you're running. And you're like, who's this? You know, he's throwing stuff. He's throwing that anger at you. You know, he's, he's throwing that, that covetousness, that, you know, being, uh, you know, 
sexual immorality, drunkenness, all these, these things, he's, he's trying to get you. You know, and then you trip up and you fall. Well, what do you do? You get back on your knees, right? Okay, Lord, you come before him. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You know, God is merciful. It's not, but it does say, it doesn't say, hey, don't worry about it. God's got you. You don't need to do anything. No, there is an if. We have our part to come before the Lord. And what an incredible model. I hope we can always go back to this and just have this picture of Daniel and how he comes before the Lord in confession, right? So then you get back up and you start running again, you know? And it's not just about, you know, beating yourself up and and always just trying to like not sin in your Christian life. What a miserable existence, you know? He calls us to obedience. He calls us to come, you know, come before him. Absolutely. But he's merciful. Like what what does uh, Jesus say? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and I will bring rest to your souls. He doesn't just say, bring your sin before me. Bring your sorrows. Bring your pain. Bring your worry before me. I'm going through a physical trial right now. And I'm like, Lord, like, just, just take my burden. Take my pain, you know? It's just, it's an amazing journey. And, and he gives us his Holy Spirit. He gives us his spirit. He gives us these gifts. I can't wait to go through a spiritual gifts series, right? Because he has things, he wants to use us for his kingdom to go out and bring him glory. And it's this amazing journey that we get to come into relationship with Jesus and all that he has you know, we have, he has his big redemptive plan, but he's got purposes for each one of us to carry out his plan and be a part of it. Amen? Yeah. All right, well, let me, let me pray. And Father, I thank you so much um, for your word. And uh, Lord, just even in this moment, I know that you are... You're in our midst, and we just want to host you, Lord. We want to host your spirit. There's nothing we could do to get more pumped up, Lord. You're, you're here. You've given us your spirit. Lord, we know that, that you, are, you are with us. And God, I thank you for your big redemptive plan. And as we work through your scriptures, Lord, I pray that it would be edifying and we would grow in our knowledge and our understanding, and that would make us more loving, more loving to those around us. Lord, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, that we can come time and time again in our shortcomings and kneel before the cross. Lord, thank you for the model of Daniel. God, give us a fear and reverence like he had for you, Lord. So Jesus, we we love you. And thank you, God, that you are coming back. You're gonna usher in peace. You're gonna establish a government that this, this world is has no clue what it's going to look like. But God, we, we just cry out, Lord, come. And thank you that you're coming on our behalf. We love you, Lord. Amen.
Thank you for tuning in to Renewing Hope Church. May God's love for you renew your hope today, and may His face shine upon you and give you peace. If you need prayer or would like to reach out to us, you can do so at our website, renewinghope.church. Until next time, 